0: The Midwest Farm Report is honoring family farm and homesteads that have been a part of Wisconsin's landscape for more than 100 or 150 years. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report, and these stories are brought to you courtesy of Compier Financial. One of the families celebrating a sesquicentennial award from the state of Wisconsin belongs to Charles Larson. His Brown County farm has a long history of tradition, both in farming and serving this country. We talk about the past, present, and future of the family farm, but first he introduces me to the land that's been in his family for more than 150 years.
1: The farm is about two miles east of Denmark, Wisconsin, and the farm is about 125 acres of farmable land with another 30 to 40 of woods. Uh, we're right on a river valley of Neshota River. Uh, the river is right to the north of us, so our land butts right up against that. Um, out of that land, I own uh, just about 30 acres with the rest I'm renting from my dad, who's, you know, the fifth generation. He still runs a few of those acres down by the river. Um, we kind of farm it together. But uh, right now, I run 100 acres of the 125.
0: Give me a history lesson here. When did your family acquire? Sure. Uh, in
1: 1961... Uh, N.P. Niels-Peter, went by N.P. Larson, his family immigrated from Denmark, uh, Denmark the country, to Denmark, Wisconsin. He came over with a group of Danish immigrants around that period that all settled in that area, and then they ended up calling the, the village Denmark. Uh, he was just young at that time. I think he was born in 1853 in Denmark, so he's about eight years old. Around that time, he met a local girl in Denmark. Their family had also immigrated, uh, the Rasmussen family from Denmark, a few years earlier than that. A few years later, they started courting, and um, they were engaged in 1873, and that spring, his future wife, Lena, Lena's dad, Mads Rasmussen, and NP, they decided to buy a chunk of land uh, near the both farmsteads just east of Denmark that was for sale. Uh, with Lena's father buying half and NP buying the other half, and then at the they got married in 1875. So, at the, at the basically after the marriage, uh, Lena's father gifted over his portion of the land, and then uh, NP and Lena became the sole owners. But basically, the farm started in 1873 when they were engaged. They started farming it from then on, and then NP and Lena became the sole owners in 1875.
0: What was the farm? What were they producing? Was it a little bit of everything? Was it dairy?
1: They were primarily primarily a dairy farm. Um, they had a small barn back then. Uh, I think they also grew some wheat. But in 1900 is when they bought. They built the current barn that still stands. It's actually two barns that are standing there. There's a south barn that they built in like I said in 1900, and I think they. I saw some records, $75 was what the, the purchase price was to, to build it. Probably be about 75000 at least now, nowadays. It was a 28-stall stanchion barn. And like I said, they were milking cows. And five years later, they built a uh, adjacent barn. It became basically on the south side of it, or north side of it. And it was a double peaked, ended up being a double peaked barn, to basically the same size as the current barn. Yeah, they continued just milking those 28 cows right up until the 90s when my dad slowly got out of it and he um, he sold the dairy cows in 1997 and ran a replacement heifer operation for a few years and then completely transitioned into cash crops, which is what I'm currently doing.
0: That's pretty incredible that those two barns are still standing today. I imagine yep. they've seen a lot of changes over the past, you know, 100 years or, or a little more than 100 years now. Can you tell me how the farm kind of changed over that time? Like, did they add on to the land?
1: They've added on a little bit. We, they, they purchased some land that was closer to the river, and they sold off some of the, the wooded land around that time. There was a small silo that was that they used up until my dad bought the farm in 1978 and pretty much the second year back then it was you had to climb up the chute and, and fork everything down. Uh, he purchased a, he he bought, he built a larger silo with a silo unloader. Uh, they, I think for a few years they tried milking more cows in 28, but um, it just was too much to handle, so they went back to the normal 28 that they were running. But both my parents worked off the farm too. Um, at times they both had two jobs besides the farm, to make it go, especially in the 80s when times were tough. So uh, my dad had a you know, full-time job and a part-time job on the weekend, and my mom did it as well. And especially once I was old enough, a lot of the farming, at least in the fields, I kind of took care of and tried to help them as much as I could.
0: You know, over the six generations, did the farm see any big events? And by big events, I mean, like, how did it get through wartime Great Depression, bad weather, anything like that? Any stories you remember hearing?
1: Basically, they got through by, you know, just hard work. Um, pretty much every war that's happened up until even the Civil War, we've had a family member or direct descendant that's served in it. So that was kind of the, the biggest thing As the young guys, young, the kids, or young men at the time that were helping on the farm, all of a sudden they were gone to fight in the wars. They, I know. During, during the, um, I think it was 19, oh, 1918 is when NP he he was elected to the state assembly for Wisconsin for the second uh, district, and that's when basically his son, his oldest son, decided to buy the farm because NP wouldn't be able to run it anymore. Yeah, and then World War II. A lot of the sons of the second generation they went off to fight in World War II. So. It was a tough time then. Same thing with, with my dad. You know, he, when he came back from Vietnam a few years later, he decided to buy the farm from my grandpa, and then I served and When I came back from the Navy, that's when I decided to, to uh, buy the farm as well. So that's kind of been the, kind of the, the running thing with the family is the, one of the sons goes off to fight, the, fight in one of the wars that's going on, and then he comes back and he purchases the farm a few years later.
0: That's, pre- that's a pretty incredible tradition. Hey, any stories of N.P.'s time in office?
1: Uh, just that he, I know he was instrumental in the, the woman's suffrage votes that happened around the time. I know, too, that when he was, there was a couple stories when he was running for office that there was, the flu pandemic was going on, so there was real restrictions on how he could meet people, and they had to stay at a distance. That was during the uh, the Spanish flu back in 1918 and 1919. And also, he had a son that was off in World War, fighting uh, World War One at the time. So he was able to relate to a lot of the folks in the area. That's kind of how he got elected. He was, he was well known in the area, and um, he could relate to other families that had sons fighting in the world in the war because he had one too.
0: Back to the the farm itself and its history. If your family was milking cows until the until the 90s, I imagine. There were some investments in technology?
1: I think they went to the pipeline. Boy, that was, I don't know the exact date, but they went to a, you know, a vacuum pipeline at some point. But beyond that, that was kind of why he got out of, uh, you know, was at the, in the 80s and 90s, it was either get big or get out. and He wasn't going to get out, but he wasn't going to stay in dairy farming. He always told me stories in the 90s that he was getting the same price for the milk that he got when he bought the farm 20 years ago in the 70s. But then, the, obviously, the prices on everything went up. Um, kind of the big transition, too, was that you know, in the 90s and 2000s, we started, he, he bought a no-till grain drill. And he started, when he went to more of a cash crop system, he started getting to no-till wheat. And when I took over the farm, I had a, I had a real bad year in 20, uh, 2014 where most of my crops got washed out from a real bad rain event. Uh, I had a bunch of alfalfa and soybeans planted that got washed out in a four-inch rain event that happened early June. I had to replant everything, and a lot of it was because of our topography of our our ground is very hilly, so it's very prone to wash out if if the soil's not stable, and that's kind of what happened. A lot of the soil got eroded away, so part of the reason I went to no-till is to help with erosion, and there's a lot of rocks on the ground, too, from from tillage. So we went to no-till and, and then later on cover crops. And we kind of kept that up where we do 100% no-till and cover crops on as many, much of the ground as we can.
0: And what do the crops look like today that you're planting? Is it still wheat and alfalfa or do you do corn and beans?
1: We're doing, doing corns, soybeans, and a little bit of small grains, either wheat, oats, or barley. And then about half the ground is in hay, which I sell to uh, some local s- small horse farmers, beef farmers, and a small dairy farmer in the area that are looking for dry hay, mainly sm- uh, round bales and small square bales for the hay. And then um, when they f- usually get about seven or eight years on a on a hay on hay ground, and then I rotate it back out into corn, soybeans, small grains, and then come back into hay a few years later.
0: You know, Charles, one of the reasons I really enjoy doing these interviews is because not everyone today gets that on-farm experience growing up on a farm, the lessons we've learned <laughs> from right. you know working with family and, and working with the land. Do you have any memories of growing up on the farm that you'd like to share?
1: I just remember when I was a kid, I thought I was the luckiest kid in the world. I thought I, I, it didn't matter how much money or how wealthy my family was. It just, I thought that the fact that I got to grow up on this and it's, it's really a beautiful, beautiful farm. It's, it's a tough farm. It's, it's very small fields, but they're all bordered by tree lines. Like I said, we live on a river valley, the, the very hilly, but it's just every field has its, it's almost has its own personality. My wife came from upstate New York. I met her in the Navy, and she even says that, too. The whole farm just has, from the buildings, the fields, and the legacy, it just has a story of its own. And the fields just have their own personality. Any 10 feet in any one field is different—sand, soil, uh, very nice ground. When and then there's rocks 10 feet 10 feet away. So it's it's tough ground, but it's it's got a just got such a big story to it. And I think that was the biggest thing I I remember growing up is just feeling how lucky I was to be there and um, be part of it. And and it was. My dad didn't think that I would when I went off to the Navy that I'd come back. My, my mom always knew because she knew how much I loved the place, and that eventually I'd come back. It was just a matter of time.
0: What's next for the family?
1: I have a 15-year-old stepson who's starting to show some some interest in it, and then I have two uh, younger daughters, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And it's the six-year-old is starting to show a lot of interest. Um, she always talks about being the next generation, and she always jokes that if she gets, you know, gets married. To a a man, he's going to have to take the last name Larson to keep it Larson Homestead. Um, But other than that, uh, you know, we'll see. I I would definitely never pressure them into anything. Um, You know, if it ends up being me the last generation, that's fine, too. We'll see how it goes, and I would definitely never pressure them into it. But if, if that's something they want to pursue, I'll definitely help them out as much as my dad's helped me and my grandpa helped him before.
0: Charles Larson telling us the story of his family's sesquicentennial farm near Denmark, Wisconsin in Brown County. He's one of 30 family farms to be getting a sesquicentennial award this year from the state of Wisconsin, and I can be the first to tell you that each of these farms has a very unique story of how they came to be and where they plan on going in the next 150 years. You can listen to this year's Century and Sesquicentennial honorees at MidwestFarmReport.com. These stories are brought to you courtesy of Compeer Financial. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.